Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're reviewing week five, looking forward to week six, and helping you to manage your fantasy teams on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. This is RotoViz Radio brought to you by my bookie and squad QL. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We have a lot of things to talk about tonight. Another interesting week in the NFL with five weeks. Doesn't it sound crazy to say five weeks already in the rear view? I think one of the big takeaways for me, Matt, has been just how stellar some of these wide receivers have been. At a high level, any major takeaways for you as of the end of week five? No, I think uh, just kind of more of the same at this point. Uh, we have, a, I think, a good collection of data now. Um, but I mean, there are always surprises, you know, like you're still figuring out like are the, what, what type of team uh, is the Seahawks? You know, like there are all these teams that uh, like you, you have data on them, but the data itself is like very messy uh, and you just kind of don't know who these teams are. But uh, I don't know. It's I think things are still a lot more certain than they were, obviously, uh, five weeks ago. 
Yeah, definitely. There's still a lot to evolve and things will continue to kind of mutate as we make our way through the season. Um, let's just jump right into things. We are now going to hit up the Little Lebowski Urban Overachievers of the Week. They're the Little Lebowski Urban Achievers. So Eric Ebron on Thursday night football against the Patriots rolls up 15 targets, nine receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns in some leagues scoring as many as 31 points obviously to a large extent the beneficiary of jack doyle being sidelined ty hilton being sidelined marlon mack being sidelined we saw naheem hines get a lot of action broad uh kind of picture for the colts is this something we can continue to expect or is this really just kind of situational well, I think we can expect him to be used heavily, um, but I think this was his first 100-yard uh, receiving game uh, in his career. I might be wrong about that, but uh, definitely one of the first, if not the first. Um, I think it's his first game with multiple touchdowns in his career. So, like, this is just like a, a, a career game for him. Like, it's, it's not at all something that we should expect moving forward. But he is one of the, I think he's better than, than Doyle. I mean, like he's more explosive than Doyle. He's one of the, the two top playmakers on the team. We should expect him to get usage going forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think Ebron has demonstrated that in terms of a passing weapon, he can certainly fulfill that role. Does he have the drops that people were bothered by in Detroit? Yes, but I don't think it's anything, you know, too radical that you need to worry about. Having said that, this isn't the type of performance we can continue to expect, but I do think it's encouraging for a player like Ebron. And when you see the work that Hines got, that these are two guys that, um, I think do now make their way into the conversation on a weekly basis, at least with some potential, as in the case of Hines getting into the flex, maybe even a running back spot and Ebron getting into that tight end spot. And I do think that once Doyle comes back, there is going to be value in Ebron. Austin Hooper, 12 targets, 9 receptions, 77 yards. I've been waiting, given the workload that Hooper was seeing in that Falcons offense, for him to have a good game. It finally manifested a bit of an interesting way that game played out yesterday. Uh, in terms of a guy like Hooper, Matt, given that there is now Freeman back, they have Coleman in the backfield, Ridley, Jones, obviously, and Sanu. Is there room for Hooper to sustain this uh, into the future, or is this just kind of an aberration? No, I think this is something of an aberration. Uh, 12 targets, I mean, he's not going to see usage like that again. Uh, that was more than double uh, any of the targets that he had had previously. And the big thing is uh, he was going again. So just kind of big picture. Yep. I don't think that uh, matchups matter all that often, except in the extreme. And he was playing against the Steelers who uh, entered the game, allowing the most points to tight ends per game. Uh, so a great matchup for him. And I think in situations like that, where you're playing a, a defense that is either really good or really bad against a particular position, uh, that's when it matters. So I think that's really what we were seeing. Uh, he was going against a defense that, uh, especially since the injury to Ryan Shazier, has just given up a lot of points to tight ends. Um, so I think he was in a great spot last week. I wouldn't expect us to see him have another game like that for the rest of the season. I would have to agree with that. I think there'll be spots where he's going to be a useful player given the offense that he's in. And we've seen him here and there have a decent performance, but he's not the type of player that we can rely on uh, as, a, as a tight end streaming option even every week. Uh, another player that we have to mention, Isaiah Crowell. What happened here? He's one of these players I've been perpetually <laughs> waiting for to hit and have some consistency 
always up and down 219 yards yesterday on 15 carries which is a ridiculous average one touchdown one target for a 12 yard touchdown he's looking like the back to own in new york i guess the question becomes though is he a back to be playing if you are a cruel owner um i mean if you have him i think you're probably in a position where you are playing him uh even if you don't think he's that good of a player um right I think you kind of have to play him just kind of based. There have been so many injuries to the running back position. He's a guy who's starting and pretty reliably getting um, you know, like 12 opportunities per game, kind of like in that area, uh, unless the team just totally gets shellacked, in which case, like, you know, he <laughs> might get like five carries. So you just you kind of don't know. But um, I think one of the bigger takeaways for me is that like Denver's defense is just really not good. Um and I've kind of been like, I've been saying that, uh, since last year. Um, but, uh, I thought they were kind of regrouping, but, uh, I think they're just really not good at this point. Um, and I think Vance Joseph is a pretty bad head coach. So I think this kind of had a little more to do with the matchup, but, um, like he is, he is a volume guy and he is a talented runner. It's just, he's very volatile. So like, if you have him, I think you're playing him. Um, but I don't think you should expect, you know, like 200 yard games. You should basically expect uh, where games like 40 yards uh, and then the occasional like 120 yard game. Right. Two points I just want to follow up on there. I think that the Broncos are a good example of how you need to continually calibrate uh, when you're playing fantasy football and you can't get stuck in this mold of just viewing teams as the teams that they were. Even sometimes as recent as a season ago, especially when you start getting into week five, you need to reassess things. And then on the Crowell front, I think it's also worth mentioning too that one of the positives in his corner is that when the team is in the red zone, they're looking his way far more frequently than they are with Bilal Powell. So I think that that does give him the possibility of scoring a touchdown uh, on a weekly basis. But I do think it's going to be kind of up and down with him. Unfortunately, uh, if you can play things right, though, you could have some big weeks here and there. George Costanza, Slackers of the Week. Listen, let me ask a question. Could you uh, expand the space underneath the desk? You know, give it a little more uh, headroom. Okay. Tevin Coleman was a guy that we at Rotoviz liked. I've always liked Tevin Coleman. I have to rule he more or less squandered the opportunity that he had as they lead back when Freeman was out. And I'm grouping him as, or excuse me, I'm grouping him and Devonta Freeman into the slackers of the week here. Coleman, seven rushes, 15 yards, two receptions, 15. Um, He's averaging just 11 points per game. And then Freeman only added uh, eight rushes for 32 yards, two receptions, nine yards, both outscored by Ito Smith. Granted, Smith only had three carries for five yards, but he did get a touchdown and one reception. You know, not an impressive showing that we've seen from this backfield so far. If you own any of these players now that there's, you know, appears to still be somewhat of Smith in the mix, what are you doing, Matt? Hmm. I mean, I think you're still starting them. It's just, I, I don't know. I'm not taking away too much from this game. Um, I think it was just a horrible game where stuff started to go against them. Uh, and then game script just got away. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think if you have them, you're starting them. Uh, let me rephrase that. If you have Freeman, I think you're definitely starting him. If you have Coleman, uh, I think he's just someone you sit on your bench. I don't know if you actually can start him at this point because um, a significant share 
of the workload you expected would be given to him is now going to Ito Smith. Even if it's just like three to four carries per game, those are significant when you're talking about a player who might be in the eight to 12 touch per game range. Yep. So uh, yeah, at this point, if you have Coleman, I don't think you can you can start him. Uh, Freeman, I think you still start. Right. And, and we'll have to monitor this and see how it plays out. But you make a good point. Even if Smith is taking away three or four opportunities from Coleman a game, that can severely limit his expected points, especially if they're quality touches, which with Smith getting a touchdown um, on Sunday, you know, took away one of those chances for Coleman. Freeman, I think we have seen enough of a sample of him throughout the last couple of seasons of being able to produce. First game back, I think the team was still working some things out. As you said, an odd game. I don't think we can view that as indicative of what we're going to expect from him going forward. Nonetheless, I I have to agree on the front of Coleman, it is a little bit troubling. So before I start putting him back into my lineups, I'm going to want to see if things work out and they start reducing the looks going Smith's way. Will Fuller, Obviously somewhat banged up yesterday, not at 100%. Three targets, just two catches, 15 yards. I bring him up, not in that I think that this performance is that notable because he was not at 100%, but clearly, we talked about him last week, Kiki Kute, Cutie, however you want to say it. I think people, I think I've heard it different ways. I think it's Kute. I think it's, I think it's, uh, I I was wrong. It's not QT. I think it's uh okay i was pronouncing it like cutie Cutie. i think it's qt qt i don't know i'm trying to say it the way al michaels was we'll we'll figure out how we're going to say it on the show but but the question here really is um there's people that are concerned that his presence is really going to impact fuller where are you on that personally i think that it doesn't change things for fuller all that much it might take away some of the volume but fuller isn't the type of guy that has been driven off of volume so i don't view it as too much of an issue perhaps that even opens up some lanes for him to take some of these big plays on a weekly basis yeah i actually think it's pretty damaging okay uh and and the reason why is because you're right like so last year uh fuller was getting outrageous touchdowns uh on maybe like five targets per game yep from um from Deshaun Watson. Like that clearly wasn't sustainable. But earlier in the season, he was getting, you know, like eight to 12 targets per game from Watson. Uh, and he was getting touchdowns, but he was getting many more opportunities. So his usage this year, early on, seemed much more sustainable. So it made him, you know, like a legitimate guy that you could play uh, where it wasn't just like hoping he would get a touchdown. And if he didn't get a touchdown, you would get nothing. Right. Um, But now I think he is going to go back to, I don't know, six or seven targets per game instead of like eight to 12. Um, Because Kiki is, I think, a very good receiver. Um, And he he like fits so well with the Mm -hmm. the offense. Mm -hmm. Like he was a slot receiver in college. Uh, led Texas Tech in receiving as a slot receiver. So it's like he's he's used to being a, a high volume, highly functional guy within a particular role. And he fits that role perfectly for the offense. And they still have Fuller to take the top off of the defense and Hopkins to operate as like the all around alpha who can who can do everything. So he fits in really well. I think he will continue to get targets. He's not going to see like the 15 targets uh, that he saw a week ago and seven targets last week. Like he, he might see seven, 
Um, but I think it'd be closer to like the, the five to six range. But um, I think that's going to dip into Fuller's target share much more than it dips into uh, Hopkins' target share. That's hard to not agree with. Uh, it's also interesting too to see they did did give him a carry as well last night. Clearly, they're trying to get him involved, and I have to mention they gave him and they gave him two carries. Oh, was it two actually? That. Okay, I, yeah, I must so, have missed so one two, of them then. Two weeks ago and one last week. So like they're like they're giving him opportunities. Yeah, and you mentioned how well he fits into that offense. So Hassan Raheem, who there's been a few things in the last couple of seasons that he's really been preaching to me. One of them was how much he liked Kute as a prospect and how well he fit into Houston. And that's really coming true. So, you know, I think there were people that saw the signs out there of how good of a fit this was going to be. So I'm expecting big things from him. I think especially if you look forward in uh, a dynasty lens, I think he's one of those players you're really hoping or you're really wishing that you had gone out and added because it's looking very good for him. So you're a little more down on Fuller's outlook than I am. I, I will concede though. I do think it lowers his value a little bit. We'll have to see how that plays out. All right. Marcus Mariota. I know that Matt normally doesn't even really care to talk about quarterbacks for obvious <laughs> reasons. Actually, as I was writing up the show sheet, I was trying to get away, but I had to bring up this performance. So he's coming off of a 30 point game last week. This weekend, just four points against Buffalo, 129 passing yards, no touchdowns, um, I think under 10 yards rushing, and a pick. The Titans' offense didn't score a touchdown. I'm going to give you a two-pronged question here. Um, should Mariota be removed from the streaming conversation? And two, in your assessment, is Mariota just a mediocre NFL quarterback, or has he been a prisoner of circumstance with the coaching staffs and the teams that he's played with in Tennessee? Those are good questions. So, um, yeah, I think you do remove him from the streaming conversation. Uh, in part, it's because I think his offense is still kind of unpredictable, even though they don't um, they don't claim to be like the exotic Smash Mouth anymore. They still yep. are a, a fairly run heavy team. Um, but uh, also his elbow is, I think, still significantly bothering him. Um, and I think that's going to be an issue, like just kind of based on what I've read. Like, yeah, like, that can be an issue for most of the season. Like he just can't grip the ball as effectively as he could previously. Um, I think he's someone to target in Dynasty. Like if there's someone who's had him, they've had him since the beginning. Um, they're kind of tired of his inability to produce points. I think he's someone to go get um, because I, I still am fairly bullish on his long-term outlook. Um, I think he, you know, maybe he has a, a coach now, or let me rephrase that offensive coordinator now who, um, who can put him in better situations. Uh, but he has this elbow issue. Like, but it, it's, you know, it's something that should impact him for most of the season, but uh, no one is talking about it as if it's going to be a long-term thing. Like it's something that should stabilize. So uh, yeah, I would try to I would try to acquire him uh, in dynasty leagues at this point. I think my opinion on Mariota hasn't really changed that much, but if th this season has highlighted, and this is kind of a universal takeaway, something for me, which is how significant a quarterback's rushing production is. And for many of these quarterbacks, if you take away any production that they're getting on the ground in a given season, they really just fall to the back of the pack and become largely interchangeable with any other players. Case in point, this season has been Russell Wilson. Uh, so 
I, I can understand that. I think that, you know, there's probably, you're not going to make or break your team, I think, at this point with what you would have to do to acquire Mariota. So I could definitely understand why some people would be trying to go and acquire him in Dynasty. Quick reminder here, we've talked about it every week, so I will be brief. Please, if you listen to all of the shows that we have on this network, do us a solid, help us out, go to Rotoviz, or I did it again, go to patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz radio. Consider becoming a patron, getting access to that live show on Sunday, where I got to be honest, Miko and I have had some pretty good calls the last two weeks. Uh, and it's just a great way to help support the show and all of the work that goes into it. And as always, the listener only 30% discount is still in effect for your subscription to Rotoviz. That's uh, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Okay, Joe Devola, crazy stat of the week, which we're going to go without the drop this week because I uh, do not have that sound effect up and we're trying to make this as easy to edit as possible this week, Matt. <laughs> okay, 200-yard rushing games. Let's just ask you quickly, Matt, how many do you think that we've averaged since 2012 per season? I mean, we've averaged. Yeah, like uh, on a given season. It's not fair because I can see the list that you've provided for me. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. I mean, I would have said shooting from the hip. Yeah. I would have said one and a half. Okay. Uh, That would have been pretty astute. So, I forgot that I had shown you the list. So, obviously, we had Crowell do that over the weekend, 219 yards. In 2017, we had zero performances. 2016, Jay Ajayi did it three times with two back-to-back. The only other player that season was Le'Veon Bell. In 2015, Doug Martin, Thomas Rawls, and Adrian Peterson went for more than 200 yards in the game. 2014, Le'Veon Bell, Jonas Gray with the game of his life, was late to a Patriots practice and, as far as I know, fell off the face of the earth since... And no Sean Moreno. And then 2013, just LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson. 2012, Jamal Charles did it twice. Adrian Peterson did it twice. He also had a game with 199 yards. There was also D'Angelo Williams and Alfred Morris. So I found that's probably it probably closer to like two and a half. What's that, Matt? That's probably closer to like two, two and, and a half. half. Yeah. Per, per year. Probably yeah. Closer to that. I found this, this list interesting for a couple of reasons because you do see a couple of random names make their way into there, like Jonas Gray and Thomas Rawls. Uh, Doug Martin did have stretches where he was very good, and then it's it's interesting how you see Adrian Peterson's name pop up a lot, Le'Veon Bell pop up a lot, and then Jamal Charles with multiple appearances. When you read through that list, did you find that surprising at all, or is that kind of what you would have expected to see? Uh, no, I mean, I forgot people like Thomas Rawls, uh, forgot Jonas Gray, although like that was a very memorable game. Forgot no Sean Moreno. Um, right. Yeah, definitely forgot he had a game like that. My takeaway is that just because a player achieves this feat doesn't necessarily mean that he's this all-world talent, but I do think there's something to players repeating the 200-yard games because it is definitely not something that happens a lot. Uh, And the majority of these players, I think at the very least, are at least good NFL players. So that is our Joe Devola crazy stat of the week. Moving along, players trending up. Mike Davis in the last two weeks has 172 yards, three touchdowns, six targets. I think it's notable that uh, this week he actually had 16 carries, I believe, despite Carson being back with 19 attempts. So you alluded to this backfield earlier, Matt. Do you have any sense of what we should be expecting moving forward at this point with Seattle? 
yeah, I think it's Mike Davis and um, and Chris Carson, like in a fairly split backfield. Yep. And I think Rashad Penny is basically just dead. I, I th- <laughs> but if you could acquire him in Dynasty, I would say do it. Um, because I think at some point he will get his chance just because he's a first rounder. He was talented. He's athletic. And then also, you know, guys in front of him are going to get injured at some point. Yeah. Like that's just kind of inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. Um, I think his value will never be lower than it is now. Um, well, I mean, it could, if like he just lingers on the bench for a while, but right. I, I think like he's, he's very close to the bottom at this point. So I think if you could acquire him, go for it. Your point is well taken, especially in that the value is low right now. And the other thing is, it's tempting to write him off as a player. But as we know, with running backs, lots of times, you only need a certain level of talent and then just finding yourself into the right situation. Maybe this wasn't the right situation for him, uh, but it definitely could manifest. And I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he finds himself, even in Seattle, next season be it. Um, able to have a big game or two and then work his way back into the mix. We've just, we've seen examples before, especially with first round players where you don't want to write them off too early on, especially in their first season. Muhammad Sanu has gone for 16 points, 17 points, and 17 points again. I think with the emergence of Calvin Ridley, that may have gotten lost in the mix. In the last two games, I've seen 23 targets, 220. Or actually, no, excuse me. This must be the last three games. 23 targets, 220 yards, three touchdowns. That's still a very impressive line for a player that I imagine in very, uh, in leagues with a very small benches still could be available. That's crazy. So when you're looking at this Falcons, uh, receiving core, I think that Sanu, Ridley, and Jones are actually all, well, obviously Jones, all playable options every week from here on out for teams. Sanu, you know, maybe he's a French flex type of guy. Uh, where are you with the Falcons receivers? Yeah, I think Sanu is maybe a fringe flex. I mean, I would never want to be in the position where I have to use him yep. um, because he has a really low floor. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. if we're looking at things from a DFS perspective, I think he has a lot of value because uh, he's always going to be the lowest owned receiver out of that group. And he could also probably have lower ownership than uh, someone like Devontae Freeman or maybe even Tevin Coleman. Uh, so he provides a lot of leverage. Uh, on those other players and he does have touchdown potential so uh in in dfs tournaments i think he's really intriguing um but for regular season long i really wouldn't want to be in a position where i have to start him i can definitely understand that uh ryan grant 13 points 11 points 12 points nothing that's setting the world on fire but i think that if you're really looking for somebody given the uh injuries as we mentioned earlier to doyle to T.Y. Hilton, and just that Colts offense in general, there has been an opportunity with Grant there. 20 targets, 157 yards, one touchdown. Any thoughts on Grant? Yeah, he's interesting, but I think uh, as T.Y. Hilton comes back and then as Doyle comes back, uh, Grant will become the fourth person in the passing game, maybe even fifth yep. behind uh, Naheem Hines. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not really interested in him, but uh, he has potential as long as Hilton is out. Right. I view him as a one-week rental, mate. This is probably the last week that you might be able to use him. Um, I, I think, you know, it's a name worth considering uh, if we do see more injuries, but he's not somebody that I would place a substantial waiver claim uh, for or anything like that. Three players on the decline. This is an interesting one. Demarius Thomas, though he did score 22 points yesterday, 
I want to note the fall off that we've seen in targets since the first two games. He saw 10 in week one, 11 in week two, and he's gone five, seven, and six. Those are not the type of numbers we normally see from Demarius Thomas. Naturally, between the opening game of the season, we're at 18, went for just seven, 11, and six points, given the, the decrease in targets. Um, I guess, like we talked about with Larry Fitzgerald last week, I don't think we're necessarily in the same spot with Demarius Thomas, but from a fantasy viewpoint, I have to imagine the best days of Demarius Thomas are well behind him. At this point, Matt, using a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, wide receiver four type of designation, where do you think that he uh, falls into in those buckets? Probably wide receiver three, although he's he's someone I don't want to have to roster, right? Um, because I don't think he's the best receiver on his team. I don't I don't know if he's even the second best receiver on his team. Like I, I know Cortland Sutton is young and he hasn't really done all that much, but he's ascending, and I think within a year, uh, at, like at some point, he's going to take over. Um, and I would rather be ahead of the curve on that. Um, and yeah, Thomas. Like you, you look, he's not getting as many targets as he used to get, and he's not nearly as efficient with his targets. He's not scoring as many touchdowns. He's not getting as many yards. Um, he's basically like someone <laughs> I just never, I never want to have a player like that on my team. Like a, a player who is clearly getting worse. Yeah. I, I never want that. I, I really like the point too about getting out on a player. Uh, early. I think that it's always better to be, it's always better to sign off on a player a year before he falls off than be a year too late. So I, I think I'm kind of with you on the same, I'm in the same camp with uh, Thomas and I'm going to try not to ever roster him again. And I thank him for his years of service on my teams in the past. <laughs> uh, Doug Baldwin caught his one target another silent day yesterday. We still could be seeing the impact of knee issues other lower body issues i guess we could make the case but this is two weeks in a row where we have not seen very much from baldwin are you worried about him you do you think there's any chance that long term now he's actually going to be playing behind tyler lockett from a usage perspective uh yeah i'm a little bit worried and it, it has primarily to do with the knee um, and a little bit to do with the offense and just kind of how unreliable it is. Yep. But it has more to do with the knee. And the thing is, like, we don't know what is going on with the knee issue. Like, uh, they haven't listed him on the injury report. Apparently, he's, you know, fine or fine enough to play. Um, and he's he's playing snaps, right? Like, he's playing, yep. like, a, a sufficient number of snaps. It's just that he wasn't getting the targets. Um, that is kind of alarming. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, I don't know, like Marcus Peters, I, I think part of it had to do with the matchup in that game. Like Marcus Peters is just so exploitable on, uh, on long throws because he's always going for the interception, um, that I think it, it was just sort of like a Tyler Lockett type of game. That makes sense. Uh, my view on Baldwin is I do think that as the season plays out, we're going to at the very least see him and Baldwin, or excuse me, Baldwin and Lockett at the very least level off in targets. I kind of do see by the end of the season him taking back that wide receiver one role, but I don't think that you're going to get anything near the Doug Baldwin that you may have been expecting heading into this season before any of the injury concerns arose. Now, this is more just to bring up the Chiefs, but Tyreek Hill 
Week one, 36 points. Week two, 20 points. Then eight, 15, and 13 targets. Eight, six, five, 13, and seven. The workload has largely been the same. We're seeing that expected drop in efficiency. Um, If you're a Tyreek Hill owner, obviously you're trotting out Tyreek Hill every week, but I just kind of wanted to use this to give us a chance to bring up the Chiefs passing game, which has been excellent, stacked with Kelsey, Hill, and Watkins. At this point, Matt, are you still expecting this onslaught, this aerial attack that we saw early on in the season, or are you starting to see signals that uh, this team might be slowing down? I think it's going to slow down. Um, but I think it's still going to be one of the best in the league. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in this week, uh, who, I mean, this could be a pretty explosive week. I think the over under for that game right now is 59 points. Oh, wow. Um, like one of the highest ever. Uh, and it makes sense. You have two, uh, pretty impressive offenses going against two really bad defenses. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think at some point it's going to slow down. Um, you know, especially as just players get injured, the season grinds on. Uh, but I think they will still be one of the top offenses in the league. So I think you want as many players in that offense as possible. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. You may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and your league's scoring system. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus... The app gives you player rankings each week, and it's all based on your league settings. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free on both Apple and Android. And sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard us talking about this for weeks. Some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay, pick three teams to win. And if you hit on all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. Uh, but my bookie is the one bet I know that you'll be happy with all year. We recommend these guys because we trust them. They've been in the business for years. Check out the reviews. All great stuff. Mobile site is great. And if you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they will be pulling that offer. Log on to my bookie right now and double your money. Use the promo code ROTOVIZ and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's ROTOVIZ. You play, you win, you get paid. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. 
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9 Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. All right. Top three units with favorable upcoming schedules. Speaking of Demarius Thomas and the Broncos, they face the Rams, who are ranked eight uh, in the upcoming weekend. However, they get Arizona, who's 32 in my metric, and Kansas City, who is 30 after that. The Baltimore receivers, it's possible Willie Sneed could be out there. Maybe somebody, if they're stacked at wide receiver, dropped Michael Crabtree. Tennessee, they have in their next contest, who ranks 23, then New Orleans 31, Carolina is 13. But when you put this together uh, in teams that may have wide receivers available, they look like the best group to target. Then Cincinnati uh, and Cleveland, um, Baker Mayfield and Andy Dalton are going to have cupcakes on their schedule. Uh, as Dalton will be facing Pitt, who's 27th, Kansas City, who's 26th, Tampa Bay, 31, and Mayfield will have the Chargers, 25, Bucks, 31, and the Steelers, 27. So if you're looking for players that you can stream multiple weeks, it's looking like Andy Dalton and Baker Mayfield make for good guys to target. Opposite end of the spectrum, players to stay away from, top three units with difficult upcoming schedules, Tennessee, you do not want to be going uh, after their running backs or, well, in this case, if you have them on your squads, it's going to be hard to play Derrick Henry or Deion Lewis. They have Baltimore this week and who ranks one, then the Chargers rank fifth before a bye. So perhaps if you were going to try to shop them, now might be the time to do that. Uh, the Redskins. They have the Redskins receivers. They have the Panthers who are 13, then Dallas who rank one, and then the Giants who rank three. So if you were thinking about dropping any of those players that you've been holding on to, I would say that now would probably be the appropriate time to cut bait. And then Ryan Griffin had a decent game last night for the Texans, but they face Buffalo, who's been 18th against tight ends, Jacksonville 7, and Miami 11 in the next three weeks, which brings us to the ever-important Friedman's number one waiver priority. You've been putting on your thinking cap all day coming up with this. I have been biting my nails, waiting with bated breath. Who do you have? Okay. Well, um, I'm going to offer a couple of players. Sure. Um, Frank Gore is minorly interesting. Oh, my um, gosh. Well, I'm looking at like the players who are available on waivers now. Yep. And like it's pretty barren out there. Um, but he's actually getting work. Um, and I mean, I know I said like entering the season that I thought, uh, Kenyon Drake had like the potential to be a low end RB one <laughs> and like, I mean, uh, whatever, like, you know, bad take. You convinced me. Exposed. He ended up on my Scott Fishbowl whatever. team because of you. 
you know, I mean, like I, I, I mean, I stand by it, you know, like yep. whatever, like I'm going to say some stuff and it doesn't work out. Right. Um, you know, I think he had the potential for it, but he's just not getting the carries. And that's not to say that like Frank Gore is, uh, a, a workhorse type of guy at this point. And he's not, but he's been much more efficient and he's getting more touches. Um, and he has the ability to get work in the passing game. So, you know, he's owned in only 10% of Yahoo leagues. So, uh, he's someone who's out there. Um, Peyton Barber is owned in only 37% of Yahoo leagues. I know he's done basically nothing. Yep. Uh, and people have forgotten about him because he's coming off of a buy. Um, and you don't really know what his offense is going to look like with Winston, uh, at quarterback now, but I think it's still, you know, potentially an explosive offense and he's the number one runner in, you know, one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. Like if he's out there, you can probably get him for cheap because no one really wants him. They they don't think he's getting production. Um, I think he's someone seriously to consider because you could see a situation in which uh, they stop scoring as many touchdowns, uh, you know, on long passing plays and they start running in more touchdowns like that could easily happen. And he's a big bodied guy who is the number one runner. That makes sense. I think it goes back to like we've talked about a couple times before. If you're looking at the waiver wire. And they're players that are in very difficult positions to ever see workloads similar to a guy like Barber. Even if Barber hasn't been producing, it's almost better to hold on to that. You're going after the workload because these other guys are not going to become viable options until they get the workload. So unless there's somebody out there that you can realistically see matching it, it, it just makes sense to roster a guy like Barber. Any other names for us or was that it? Yeah, uh, I have one more. Okay. And this is for, I would say, more like super deep leagues or dynasty. Okay. Um, and I imagine he's still available in some dynasty leagues. David Moore uh, is someone who is really interesting. And hopefully you uh, maybe were kind of wise to this and you picked him up last week. Um, but last week he started replacing Brandon Marshall. Uh, so he was, you know, running, uh, running routes, playing snaps instead of Marshall. And then this last week he got two touchdowns. So uh, it's kind of a crappy situation now in that uh, the people who are just chasing touchdowns might be going after him. Um, and he saw only four targets, but he is still someone who's interesting long term. Um, a small school guy who has a pretty good athletic profile, um, who was productive uh, in the small school, you know, and now he's starting to get his opportunity. Like, I'm not going to say that he's like Jeff Janis, because like he's, he's just a different type of player. He's not as athletic, not as productive as Janis was. Um, but he might be, I don't know. He might be like a better receiver. Like he might be better at like using his body, you know, like Mm -hmm. a contested catch guy. Uh, and you know, Wilson gave him opportunities, uh, you know, in the end zone this last week. So he's someone who is intriguing from a longer term perspective. Like we probably shouldn't expect much from him this year, but he's a you know a long shot uh you know kind of dart throw end of the bench guy in dynasty leagues who I think actually has the potential uh to to give some production further down the road. What do you think the longest that we will ever go in a stretch of episodes without the name Jeff Janis somehow coming up is Oh the the longest stretch without without uh, mentioning Janus. Jeff Janis. Oh I mean I think we could go easily 
four, four five episodes. That's what, that's what I was going to say, but he's like the perfect example of when you have somebody come, you know, like a small school guy with great uh, athletic profile that you're not sure if it's going to work out. He seems to be our fallback. Uh, yeah. Fantasy games of the upcoming week. We talked about it earlier. Really, the only one that very much stood out to me this week was Kansas City versus New England. That over, Matt, what do you think the the odds are? Do you like that game to, to beat the 59? Uh, I, I've already bet the under on it. Yep. Um, man, 59 is just so high. Um, and I, I could see how it hits it, but, um, you know, I've, I, I've started like doing this thing where I, I mean, it's not like I've started doing it, but I've started doing it a little more intently of really trying to pay attention to my process of, uh, anticipating what the numbers might be and thinking about where I would take a side and what I think the number should be. Uh, yep. and I have a number that's, that's not, not like significantly lower, but, uh, low enough where I've, I've bet the under, but like a very small amount. Like I think, I think 59 is probably pretty close to where that line should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, but that's, uh, that, I mean, it, I think it's going to be a great game. Like that's the game I'm obviously most excited about for this coming week. Yeah. I mean, every other game kind of pales in comparison. In fact, well, it, Atlanta, uh, Tampa Bay. Like that's yeah. No, oh, sorry, it's Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Tampa Bay at but, Atlanta. Um, yeah. yeah, that could be another high scoring game. The over under for that is fifty seven and a half. So like that is also high, and and it's a similar situation. You have two high scoring offenses going against two defenses that can't stop anybody. So like yeah. that is that is another really great game yep. for for fantasy purposes, right? Yeah, that was the I was choosing between that or Rams Broncos. I just ended up going with the Rams and Broncos just because I think that the receivers uh, for uh, the Rams are just so interesting. That naturally you have Todd Gurley in there as well. Although we did see some um, uh, injuries right to uh, Cup and to uh, Cooks, so yeah, I don't know what their their lookout's going to be like heading into that game um, at at this point in the week. But, um, you know, at this point, the Rams to me are kind of like must, must watch fantasy TV. Oh, definitely. Uh, the tough call. Can I carry two defenses if I like the rest of my roster, but we have small benches? I'll let you feel that one first, then I'll give my thoughts. Mm, I mean, if you have small benches, I guess it just kind of depends on like, okay, do you have small benches, but a lot of other teams in the league? Like if there are, if there are viable players, like position players on waivers, I would rather own that guy than two defenses, like almost always. Okay. Uh, even even if both defenses are really good, I think I'd rather have the player. Yeah. So this is what I would say. I will not carry two defenses just because they're good defenses. But what I will do is when I have my team positioned to make the playoffs, even if it's like week eight, week nine, I will then look and I will add teams that have a favorable schedule for the playoffs to start to carry myself through. So what I will do, um, and to kind of market the stat explorer, the weekly stat explorer that we have at Rotoviz that I put together, uh, you can use that to like very easily visually see what the playoff schedules look like. And you have that list of teams that are going to have the most favorable matchups. And when those teams become available, you add them. So one, if I know then I'm in the playoffs and I have a tool like this that lets me identify 
the teams that are going to set up very favorably to stream in the playoffs. I'll add them and carry them, but I don't think that you need to carry a defense just because they're good, uh, especially if you're kind of on the fence. You want to get, uh, you know, maximize the number of players that are on your roster that you're going to be able to use each week. Does that make sense, Matt? Yeah, I and I, I like that. That's a kind of like next level way of approaching, um, like uh, carrying multiple players at your onesie positions. Yep. Um, so I, I, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would, yeah. say, I think like, um, I would never do it that early, mm-hmm. um, in the season just because like I would, I would still probably focus more on, um, position players. But as we get closer to the playoffs, I would probably start looking, I would say like two to three weeks away. Right. I would probably start looking a little more intently, but at that point, it's always possible that someone like you who just has like a further eye on this would have grabbed a defense that I would have wanted. Right. And, and you know, I think I might have a slightly different perspective than the person that asked this. I'm assuming they're probably in like a, a Yahoo league that maybe has 15, 16 spots, but I'm in a lot of FFPC leagues where there's 12 teams, 22 man rosters. So those defenses get hard to come by. So I actually, yeah. it's like, there's a benefit if your league gets very uh, very large there does become a benefit in carrying those three defenses early uh, because it does become a scarce resource so some of it as we always preach does depend on your league some real quick questions for you matt in the bonus round other than saquon barkley which rookie running back do you most wish that you owned in dynasty or let's say it differently because you may uh, if you were drafting yeah. in a startup today of the rookie running backs other than saquon who would be your first choice uh man probably chubb um like i always liked him anyway yep um i don't know i i mean i if i'm being honest i would say sony michelle but i'm so invested already in being anti-michelle um <laughs> that i that i i can't in good faith say that um and, and also like the just the running back position uh specifically in new england uh is so volatile that i think it would be risky to invest a pick that high in Michelle. Um, but I think Chubb is the future and I think he's a very talented back anyway. So uh, I would be comfortable going with him. Yeah. We're, we're in very similar spots there. I will add to that. I've been kind of surprised by carry on Johnson. I do think it's looking like he has oh, yeah. the skills to be a pretty good back. He just needs things to, to rearrange in Detroit. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I don't think I gave him enough credit when he was coming out of school. The most, yeah, no, those, those 21 year old guys, like he's just, he's a young guy. Yeah. Uh, the young guys drafted with high picks, they tend to pay off. Yeah, they definitely do. Uh, most surprising team so far, Matt, hmm. this can kind of go either way, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a hard, maybe the Vikings, um, in that like, they've just, they've struggled in a way that I wouldn't have expected. Like I would have expected their offense to regress a little bit because new play caller, uh, uncertain situation with, uh, their running back new quarterback. You just kind of don't know how it's all going to mesh together offensively, but I thought their defense would still be solid and it's kind of been opposite. Like I think, um, their offense has done a really good job of continuing what they were doing last year. And Kirk Cousins has done a good job of like integrating himself into the system. Uh, but their defense has just collapsed. And I wasn't expecting them to struggle in that way. So uh, I, I mean, I think they still have the opportunity to make the playoffs, to make a run. Uh, because really all across the NFC, it's pretty wide open. Um, but they have surprised me. 
Yeah, that was one of the teams that came to mind for me. I think Buffalo, just based off of that Vikings game, so kind of getting into the same context with you there, uh, was one team that kind of came to my mind. And then the Browns are kind of doing what I expected, but the games are somehow, like with these OT games and whatnot, managing to be right. uh, even, you know, like, uh, it's amazing. They just can't escape at best mediocrity. Um, so th- those have been kind of surprising, but I think the Vikings one uh, definitely uh, fits the bill of what we're looking for there. Now, final question of the night, which player will be the most or which player at the end of the season will we view most opposite to how we view them now? So basically, who will turn it around the most or perhaps who's playing well now that by the end of the season will just be bad? That's a tough one. That's yeah, that is a tough one. Um yeah, I don't know if I have a, a satisfactory answer to that. I would maybe say Antonio Brown in that, like, I think he still has, um, like, the shininess of being the best wide receiver in the league. But um, Roethlisberger and Brown, to this point in the season, and it could change, but they have had a very horrible connection. Like, Roethlisberger has been the most inefficient throwing to him uh, out of all of the pass catchers in uh pittsburgh and that's like that's that's very new like that is something that has just happened this year uh and maybe it's because of uh roethlisberger maybe it's because of brown uh maybe it's like somehow like Le'Veon bell not being there but like maybe and maybe it's honestly like new offensive play caller could have something to do with it right but um i think by the end of the season brown will not have been as productive as people would sort of expect the number one receiver to be. So you'll look and Hopkins will have a better season. Michael Thomas will have a better season. Maybe Odell Bell, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. will have a better season. Like, I think there will be a number of players who will have had better seasons. Like Adam Thielen maybe would have a better season. Yep. And so you'll look and you you have this idea of Antonio Brown being the best receiver in the league, but then there might be like eight guys who had better fantasy seasons than him. I follow you there. Yeah, I've been expecting, and I think we already started to see it, a little bit of the turnaround for Antonio Brown. Uh, There's just so much history there with him and Roethlisberger, and I do believe that he's the best receiver in the game. Uh, You know, perhaps you could maybe slide in uh, one or two other names into that conversation, but that's something that uh, we will evaluate as the season moves on. And, uh, you know, as always, Matt, thanks for stopping by to chat with us tonight. Uh, Everybody out there, this has been Rotoviz Radio. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. You can follow Matt at MattFF. The Oracle, if you couldn't tell, my script was not available as the battery on the computer died. So on that note, we will remind you to remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. All right, cool. That's hilarious that your computer died. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.